Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today we've got a, we are hoping for a lively discussion with Metz Kramer and Alex Kraft. And we've, we've kind of been chatting a little bit about the fact that we might have lost a big opportunity when the pandemic came in 2020 and we started working from home, there was an opportunity for dealers to transform their businesses. And now that we seem to have come out the other side of the pandemic, the dealers are just reverting back to where they were in 2019 and 18. So not much has changed. So without this being a bashing session to gang up on dealers, I thought that Metz and Alex could comment on that kind of introduction and, and then how and, and where and, and what they see coming. So how's that for an introduction, Metz, Alex? Sounds the great, in third court, gentlemen. <laughs> how about we do this alphabetically? Alex, let's start with you. Oh, all right. Yeah, the pandemic uh, definitely changed things. When I used to work in the dealer world, though, uh, honestly, the, the common thinking was when something like that happened, even though it wasn't a pandemic, but when the market, when something happened to the market, the typical reaction was, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. And we just kind of have to, <laughs> we got to wait for things to turn around. So I think, I think that's the common viewpoint. And we didn't, I was there too. Like the, the typical reaction was never like, okay, this is the circumstance. Now, how do we change? How do we adapt? Right. Ron, we talked about adapting to right. situations uh, last time. And it's just, I don't know why, but that seems to have always been kind of the the structure and the thought process uh, within the deal. You experienced that as well up in Canada, didn't you? Mets with Canada dealer and Liebherr and others. Yeah, adaptation is interesting at the dealer um, because it's so driven by certain aspects of it. I think um, you know there there are definitely things we can't do remotely. You know, I'm, I'm with a, a dealer here today and we talked about exactly this topic and everyone knows you can't have your mechanics working from home. That, that's a given. And so that seems to kind of be one of the things that sets the tone. I said, well, you know, we have to be at the shop. We have to be at the dealership. We have the machines, you know, are there. Um, the work has to be has done to be there. Done. But that's not necessarily the experience that the other side of this equation is having. You know, yeah, they all have to be on site, um, but all the other things can be even more disconnected than they used to be. You know, the, the, I have a friend's organization where they, one of those companies that literally shut their office. They said, you know what? We're all working from home. Uh, we're going to close the office. We're going to get rid of the office. We'll, we'll book a restaurant like once uh, a month and we'll all get together. We'll have a meal, we'll have a meeting, you know, and, but there was a commitment there and it's those organizations that really just committed to that change that for them, there's no going back. There's no half measures. Um, and for them, they made that, they had to make all the changes in their business and how they do things to, to fully work that way. Not while you're at home and I'll mail you all the paperwork that normally you have to process, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I don't, I think we have to think about that side of the equation, which is what changes did our customers make during this time? Did they get rid of offices? Did they fully embrace working remotely? And therefore now their expectations are to work that way. Mm -hmm. How big was that company that shut down and, and had everybody work from home? Do you know a, a number? Um, I would put them in at somewhere between 100 and 200 employees. Okay, so think think about that for a second, and I'm going to call that brilliant. That once a month they got together as a group and had a meal, mm -hmm. a whole group, right? Yeah. I I don't know, Alex. In your days, we we had management meetings, management meetings, twice a year. Mm -hmm. And we'd go away somewhere and there'd be, depending on the size of the company, 100, 200 people. And we'd break up into work groups and everything else. But those days, 
the companies that I was with were 500, 700 employees. We never created camaraderie like that, ever. Even departmentally, we never did it. Did, did you experience that, Alex, in Florida? I did. Uh, we did make a change the last couple of years I was there where we met on a monthly basis, like managerial level. And it had a huge positive uh, impact in terms of camaraderie, in terms of uh, cohesiveness, in terms of uh, everyone understanding where everyone else was, like their performance, how I compared to my peers, uh, what the company goals were, communication was uh, dramatically improved. But I, for my first 15 years, uh, you said twice a year. <laughs> for my first 15 years, we probably averaged 0.6 meetings a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder what it is that's causing people to be seemingly afraid of this or at least anxious about it. I know the older guys like me, we're risk averse. We don't want to make mistakes because we don't have recovery time. And as Alex, you said, you're you're kind enough to say that I'm not the typical boomer stuck in the old days, but you're not. No. It's, well, it's it's there's a lot of young folks that are are kind of stuck too. You know, it's it's um I think it's really healthy. And we've lost sight of this. If we get together regularly and communicate our thoughts and fears and well, Alex and I were talking, or Mets and I were talking about before you signed on, Alex, was that we don't celebrate successes vibrantly enough. You know, that we, we need to celebrate successes because they don't happen all the time. Yep. I think there's like a one, I think it's interesting that Alex is like, we had management meetings. You know, like if there's one group of people that I've experienced getting together the most, for meals and drinks is management, you know, um, getting a whole team together. Like that's rare. Like ask the support staff in most places, how often they've, you know, been out for dinner and some drinks after work. And it's rare, you know, how, how many parts departments just go out and do something and treat their parts. People like we treat our salespeople you know, need to be wined and dined. Um, but I think one of the other sides of it here um, is, you know, what, what's the draw that's drawing people back, right? What, what's the draw that makes the manager say, look, I need my people back in the office, you know? And if it's truly because, you know, the shop manager says, I need my mechanics back in the office because that's where the work is. But I think a lot of managers will say, I need them back because I don't know what they're doing. And the truth is, I think that a lot of managers don't know what their people do. You know, they've been put in charge of that department. They don't really know what their people do. They have no idea how to measure what their people do or set expectations. You know, we, we have a great analogy in our industry of, of technicians. It's like, I need five technicians. I'm like, well, I have, why? Well, I have this much work. I'm like, well, this one guy can do this much work in one day. And this guy will do half of that in the same day, you know, and, and people in offices are no different. You know, and if you don't understand what people do, what your team does, then your shortcut to being a manager is to make sure they're there at eight and leave at five. I mean, field service technicians have always been remote employees, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. right. Well, you have, you, to, know, you have to trust them. I think both of you heard the story about my daughter who teaches. And, and when the pandemic came in and and we went to virtual learning in classrooms for kids and they stayed home. Her school district mandated that the teachers had to go back to school to do the virtual learning. I imagine this, you've got professionals that are being told to go back to a workplace so I can see you work. It's like CRM. Yeah. It's like, it's like CRM. I want to see your call reports. How many phone calls have you made? How many people have you seen? Yeah. I'm like, that's not a measure of my productivity. You know? Mets, have you ever used Slack? Yeah, I use Slack. Unbelievable. I love it. Like, there's all these cool products that help uh, communicate much more effectively uh, and that I never really was aware of. Like, I'd always heard of Slack, but my impression of it 
uh, in the past was like, oh, well, it's just kind of what email does. And it's not at all. And no, I see benefit of it. Um, Notion. Are you familiar with Notion? No, I'm not. Notion is a really cool uh, software where like what we're using, what we use Notion for is, and this is something that I never really would put in practice at the dealership was, is that we're building a library within Notion that as we hire people, they, they would then have access to Notion and understand everything about our product. Like uh, the features, the benefits, uh, they, they'd be able to read up without any real um, training of like how we're different than the eight other companies that someone would compare us to in the market. And then, you know, what our vision is, our three-year plan, our five-year plan, and just like building this library in this product called Notion. It's re- so there are all of these tools that are available. Like I, I, I can't, like it would have, had I known about them when I was with the dealers, like, holy, it, it just fixes a lot of these issues uh, that we talk about communication and so you know the um you you guys have heard me reference patrick lencioni often and his book the three signs of a miserable job where irrelevance is one of the items that the employees don't understand the contribution that their performance their job function gives to the company notion just blows that out of the water (laughs) i'm I'm working on a, a a column now for the independent equipment dealers for Dave Gordon and Kim on artificial intelligence and how it's impacting customer service. And you guys both know Dale Hanna and Foresight Intelligence, and you've heard Alex Schusler who came from Art Equipped. And like there's people, younger folks, younger than me, but you guys are in a world that it, that is finding these things, exploring these things, and you're not afraid to to give it a shot. If it works, terrific. If it doesn't, next we'll try something else. Mm-hmm. That yeah, seems to be a that seems to be a real serious generational warp. The younger folks, let's go, let's try it. Come on, worst that we can do is fail, and they understand failure is part of success. Yeah, I think too. Uh, we've we've talked. We're starting to talk about this. So we we're talking a lot about the opportunity that dealers have to look at their customers and adjust to a customer's changing expectation. One of the, I think the opportunities that we haven't really discussed is I don't think dealers are looking internally at the age of their employees. And so like, Oh, we have X amount of younger salespeople, you know, how, what is the best way for them for us to all communicate as an organization? Cause naturally they would be more, uh, apt and inclined to use a product like a Slack or some of the things that we're talking about. It's like the dealer seems to be more focused on, and I think this is missing out of like incorporating the younger group into the way that it's always been, as opposed to using the the youth as a way of the dealership getting younger and more innovative. You probably see that out at the dealership right now, Mets. Yeah, we see it see it everywhere. I mean, the, um, there's two young people here that help run it, and an owner. Um, they we just had a conversation about advertising, and good old advertising magazines came up. Oh you my know, God. <laughs> and, like, and and like the the confirmation bias that's built into you know the one story you get from some older person who buys a machine and says, "Yeah, I found this magazine on the back of the John at." loves truck stop and that's why i'm calling you because i want to see we got to advertise in magazines you know and then like people just putting some perspective on that that is like well we 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 know there's a lot of bias in that and (laughs) it's the it's that we've tried that before and like this is an age-old generational issue right the younger people come in and say let's try this and then someone will say well we tried that when i was like 30 years old somehow i ended up as like an operations manager for a manufacturer for a year in england and my my purchasing manager had been there for 25 years i'm like well why aren't we doing it this way like oh we tried that like 20 years ago and it didn't work and like now i'm reminded of like one of our colleagues who sat in a a significant senior management meeting and at, at this point in the conversation brought up wiley coyote Oh my God. And his boss looked over at him and said, 
all right, where are you going with this? Like, well, you remember Wiley Coyote. I'm like, what about Wiley Coyote? Well, he kept trying things, but he, he was always really close. And he never actually figured out what was wrong with the idea that he had. He would just switch to the next idea, whether it was a cannon or a bow or a whatever to catch the roadrunner. He only took one shot and then he would try something else. And that's, that's like a chronic problem in, in every place is we don't go back and understand why it didn't work. And we just write it off. And then we get stuck in the, this old system. You're never really committed to trying. It's like a half-hearted attempt. Like people don't really care if it succeeds or not. You know, it's like, oh, we just we tried it. Right. Like like working from home. We we had to do it. We kind of made it work. We didn't make sure everyone had a desk and a good internet connection. You know, we 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 mailed them their paperwork that they were supposed to process. We didn't commit to it and say, Oh, look, we can't do this anymore. So let's figure out why there's no how to get rid of all that paper and make it digital so that we can do it from home. But yeah. if, if you're a student of history, it's the disruptors in every single darn case. Mm-hmm. You know, go, go back to the Vikings and, and, and then how England defended themselves. All of a sudden they had arrows, you know, and, 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 and then, you know, the roads in Italy are still the same width as the damn wagon wheels were the trains in Italy are the same widths as the wagon wheels were from the Roman Empire. For goodness sake, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we've this, this, you know, we're, we're trying, I think you guys know, we're trying an artificial intelligence text to voice product out of the United Arab Emirates. And uh, it's hard to determine the difference between a computer voice and a person's voice anymore. So mm-hmm. when, when somebody's answering the phone on the other end, you're not really sure anymore. <laughs> is this That's actually kind of... Bob or is it, you know, a machine Bob? Yeah. But... <laughs> And machine and Bob. question is, does that matter? Well, it does, because Machine Bob isn't scared of rejection. He'll make a thousand phone calls a day. In other words, it's better. <laughs> real real yeah. Bob is terrified of being shut down ten times in an hour. Including me and you and Alex. You know, after a while, oh, I you hate it. rejection, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there used to be, I sold encyclopedias for a while in university, and I, I remember one of the guys, we had a short training session. He What's said, imagine you're standing on the corner and you're asking a good-looking lady to come out to dinner with you. Uh-huh. That there's going to be a lot of people smack your face. Right. One's going to say yes. Yeah. And depending on how skillful you are, your face is going to hurt or not. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, the encyclopedia companies that are like, ah, oh, this internet, Wikipedia, that'll never work. <laughs> We're always going to be. <laughs> people are always going to need their own collection of 27 <laughs> right. volumes. Right. I had I had a set of encyclopedias when I was a kid in my room. It's just what a un, and I'm sure like, I had this the same thing. My daughter, I, we got her an encyclopedia. She's taken it to the classroom. She leaves. She works in a very, I think, 97 percent of the students are low income people. Very, very difficult circumstance. They've never seen an encyclopedia. Well, it's in their classroom now. And you have no idea how many kids, even though they've got computers at school, they don't have them at home. They don't have cell phones, but they pick up the books and they sit at their desk and say, I'm going to read these books. And they're showing some thirst for knowledge. If only we gave them good tools. Gosh. <laughs> Are you suggesting we should? doing, Alex, in the sales transactions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no longer working from home. It's, it's conducting the work differently. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's right. exciting as hell. I'm starting to see you now making, you know, posts on, on social media and I'm, I'm sharing them. And I mean, it's terrific. You cut the cost of the transaction out completely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's really interesting uh, that we found, and it makes logical sense, uh, is that 80% of customer requests on heave.co are after hours. They are before 6 a.m., after 6 p.m., or on the weekend. And it makes sense, especially like in the compact market because customers are working during the day. They don't have time and they don't want to see people. They're working. And then when do they go search for a rental or for pricing? It's when they're at home. It just... It's like it makes a lot of sense. And 
you know, when we talk about, you know, understanding and, and Mets talks a lot about data. Well, an important thing about data is getting it and then using it and applying it. And so with this being a fact, like how does a dealer, um, how is a dealer cap- capable of handling that? How a dealer is not open 24 seven, but that's the importance of something like the, the tech tool like Eve is that you can respond immediately. Uh, you can respond at whenever the customer is searching because when they're searching for a reason and the likelihood of winning the deal increases 10x, 20x if you can get them the information right then and there. Maybe I'm yeah, worried, a- but I get up early <laughs> and my wife's still asleep. And I've got my cell phone and I go through my email, I go through texts, lying in bed. It's four o'clock in the morning, there's nothing else to do. It's, you know, why do I have to come down to the computer? I can do it on the phone. And, you know, it's exactly what you're talking about. What's convenient to you? The, tr- the, the problem to some degree with that, I saw a posting this morning of a, a young lady whose feet are up on her luggage in the airport waiting area at the gate. She said, I left my laptop at home today. And the comments that everybody was making, boy, you're brave. <laughs> and and my comment back, I said, did you leave your cell phone too? Same thing, right? I think 80% of our traffic is on a mobile device. Yes. And like how many like go to go to how go to a dealer's website on your phone and see what how, what percentage of them come through, like, are really mobile enabled? It's a small percentage. Don't you, you're doing that now, Mets. Aren't you, do, aren't you doing websites for dealers? Yeah, we've done several. The thing that's remarkable, what, what Alex brings up, it's, it's almost embarrassing now. We, we put up the web page, the home page, whatever, and, and we, that kind of started in the 80s. It didn't really reach any kind of coverage until the 90s. Mm-hmm. But we kind of did the, the Seinfeld thing. You know, we, we put up everything we wanted to brag about, yada, yada, yada. And, right. and then we put the machines up there, models and serial. And we didn't update it. We didn't. It, and, and Alex talked about this the very first time, the customer experience. It's, if you look at dealer websites, the customer experience isn't really nice. It's not that good. How the heck do we... How do we, you know, the men should be, now the men, that's the other problem, I guess. Most of the guys that are running the businesses don't look at the internet that much. That might be part and parcel of the whole problem. Is that what you found? Well, yes, smart guy. (laughs) You know them all. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. But there's (laughs) analytics that I look at every day, every week, every month. And which, which platforms are coming from? Mobile device, laptop, desktop, telephone, what is it? And and Alex is right. More and more of them are coming from tablets and phones. What are the influencers that get us there? The associations are starting to play a role now, i.e. DA and AED and NTDA, et cetera. So all of those become important. The manufacturers still influence the dealers and get them to do certain things. And that's going to be true for for everybody forever. We, as long as we've got dealer distribution. But that's getting close to the point that it's being challenged. You can buy a car, you can trade your car, you can pay for your car, you can pay for the, the you'll get a wire transfer of the pay. You don't need to leave your house. So I, I had dinner with um, someone on the edge of our industry who specializes in uh, Facebook and Instagram. And um we talked about this topic of like selling equipment online. We're trying to figure out how to post them properly to Facebook uh, where there's, you know, especially in smaller equipment that seems to work really well um, and lots of transactions happening, but uh, Facebook doesn't let you finish the transaction on that type of equipment. And so the, the problem I said is, you know, the, the dealers won't put a standard price on freight or, or figure out what freight could should be and then just like put that number on it because part of it to do that you you have to um kind of go for the mean 
value for freight, right? You, Matt, you have there's to- a there's a company that I know of that it probably in 32 days from now will have that uh, I think solved. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so and and, and so I, I tried to explain it to her. Probably know that company, Matt. I, 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 I might know them. I have some intimate knowledge of <laughs> that discussion. Well, because you're right. You're you're asking about a standardization of freight when we can't even have standard hours. <laughs> yeah. But it we don't want to solve it, right? Like someone apparently is solving this problem. But like others in the industry, they, they want it to be a problem, right? And that's what I was trying to explain to her because she didn't get it. Like they sell all kinds of stuff and all the ship, all the companies, they're just kind of like, well, shipping is this much, you know, sure, whatever. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, but I, I figure out a number that makes it so that I can get the deal done right there. And in our industry, like, well, you know, we look at our margins on this deal, and like, I've got to look at every machine and make sure I made the same, the right amount on every machine and that I take my freight and I mark it up the right amount, you know, so that my margins are right. Instead of saying like, I'm moving this many machines, you know, I, I need to spend this percentage on freight kind of thing and recover that percentage on freight. And if I could do that, but I could hit and it all like of, that. All of that, what you just described, the, the ironic thing is that they still lose out on the freight. So there's all this computation and all this, <laughs> oh, I got to do this. And then at the end of the year, when you look at the bottom, the, your statement, it's like, we just lost a million eight in freight. <laughs> if I put so much thought and so much time into it, and I lost money. But, but you, know, you know why that is? Think about it. Being, you know, I'm the cynic, remember? It doesn't matter all those machinations. When it comes down to setting the price for the machine, the salesman looks at the cost of the machine. He says, I'm going to make 10%. He marks it up by 111. That's the end of it. And he's wrong. He typically wrong. he typically didn't get the freight number yet. And that's, so, because he has to wait on people. So, so what we're doing, Mets, is we're integrating with a company that's already in the space that can give us an instant number. And so we'll know based on the customer placed an order and the they need delivery in Laverne, Oklahoma. And the dealer is selling the machine. It's coming from Houston, Texas. Boom, instantly. Freight is $1,850. Customer reserves it by paying for the freight through Heave. Done. You know, it's, nah. it's, it's truly. How, how come every time I come up with an idea, Alex, you instantly are like, I oh, that's, I'm, I was just about to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's called adaptability, man. Yeah. <laughs> On the fly. Like, It'll take me 32 days to get this done. <laughs> well, we've, been, uh, we've been working on it for a few months, uh, but we're, we're down the home stretch. So it, it, it really points out, right? Like it's a mindset. If you, if you want to solve the problem, if you want to find a way to remove that barrier, <laughs> then you can. You know, I, I had so it was a barrier, and that's yeah. that, that's how it came on my radar. So, like, just the na- the nature of our platform. Customer says, "I want to buy a machine, or I want to rent a machine." I'm here. Dealer quotes them, and you know, because our platform just opens up for everybody, we're getting a lot of quotes that weren't you know 50 miles away, and so just because of how the industry has been so conditioned, I think customers were dismissing quotes on that machine because it wasn't within 50 miles and i saw it happening too much and i'm like all right freight should never uh be a barrier to this platform working and because i knew that the price for the machine was a really really good price and and i loosely knew what freight would be so now if i can surface it and say basically hey your price total to get it to you is this then it should help drive more transactions. And that's why we decided to solve it. Why why is Amazon, sorry. No, go ahead, Matt. But why is Amazon so wildly successful? They Mm -hmm. make you buy this membership and you get free shipping. Every website that sells stuff, the ones that are leading, they they offer free shipping. I mean, you have to, I'm going to hit right home here in Ron's favorite territory and where I started in this industry, which was in service invoicing. Service invoicing is like the the ultimate example of people not wanting to solve problems. 
Like, why do we have an invoice cycle measurement? And why is it something ridiculous? Like when I was a supervisor, nine days, because no one wants to sit down and solve all the little problems that get in the way of having zero day invoicing cycles. Because they're all just solvable problems. Mm-hmm. We, we're like, oh, I can't invoice that customer yet because I'm waiting for the weld contractor to send me his invoice. And so yeah. I'll wait six weeks because that's how long it takes the welder to get my invoice because I got to make sure I get the right value on that invoice. Right. Like over, we- over, over my 50 years, I have implemented in three different dealerships, 53 years, three different dealerships that the invoice goes up right after the inspection is approved. Before the work is done, hmm. we will start when we get your payment. Right. And everybody said, what is this nonsense? I remember in Edmonton and Alberta, we were, I didn't like the way people paid. They pay on the statement, not on the invoice. <laughs> and I talked to all these companies and I say, what, what you're paying on your state on your statement from us. Yes. But it seems to take 30 to 60 days from the pay, the statement date to when you pay. What's holding it up? Well, we have to match all your invoices to the statement before we can put it into payables. I said, ah, how about I send you the invoices with the statement altogether? Would you pay that in 15 days? Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. guess what? You know, be careful what you ask for. There it was. Did they pay? No. <laughs> I said, okay, that didn't work for the uh, same group. I went back. I said, that didn't work very well. How about I send you a statement every week? And I'll give you 30 days payment on the weekly statement and I'll send the invoices with you. Oh yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> the third time I went back and I said, how about this? We won't start work until you pay us. And oh boy, I, you thought I'd taken their oldest kid. how come we can't have a reasonable discussion alex mentioned it early on in this discussion we're looking at the customer but we're not paying attention to the employees what are the things that they're driving the employees nuts Mm -hmm. internally and externally Mm -hmm. and if all we did was listen to that and do something about it can you imagine the change that'd be huge nine days from from last labor holy mackerel used to drive me crazy (laughs) <laughs> I had one one client years ago. They had six months sales and work in process. He said, Ron, this is ridiculous. Can you come up? And he had about 11, 12 service managers. So I said, fine, guys. You're working Saturdays and Sundays until this gets down to a month. They did it. They got it down. We got together. I said, okay. Can you keep it in a month? They said, oh, yeah, Absolutely. Guy calls me back in about six months. He's up to four months again. Yeah. I called the guys on a conference call. I said, do I have to come up and have you work weekends again? Or maybe we should just have you work seven days a week to get, forget it. <laughs> how, how do you change behavior? It's unbelievable. I think if the, I went through this. So this, that's why I love this case. When I later on ran a bunch of branches, um, I, I came up with the same metric again and I realized that, you know, it's just an incentive to procrastinate. <laughs> That's it is, right? And, and like, and to play games. It's like, I got a bunch of bad invoices. I'll just smash through these really, you know, fresh ones really quick. My average will be okay. And I'm a champ, right? It's just an invitation to procrastinate. And, and until you change the metric or the expectation or look at what's causing it, you know, and so I, I set a metric, I, I said, you know, 75% of all invoices had to be one day and 25% could be on average, you know, this many, seven days. And that allowed for like really crazy jobs that, okay, yeah, maybe sometimes you have to do it, but 75% one day. And now, now you have to go solve the problems, which is, which is like our discussion on um, work from home. If you want to do it, you have to solve the problems to make it work properly and not just call them back because you didn't do the work. And to go digital is a commitment to, to, to understanding what it means. And, you know, then you'll get the benefit from it. You know, you might, you might be pointing at one of the real reasons for resistance. Going digital means that you have to solve problems. Oh, yeah. 
You know, I'm so glad I'm not part of those uh, last labor conversations anymore. I mean, it's it's maddening. And I'm sure like you've heard the same thing. I think the one thing that people always tell you, oh, Ron, we're six months with, in WIP. We need, to, we need to hire more admins. And like how many times do companies hire more administrative employees? And then it doesn't make a dent whatsoever. It's then you're still four months in WIP. It just it. it you have to solve like to Metz's uh, say, you have to solve the core problem. You have to like literally look into these work orders and do like an autopsy and, and figure out why, what caused this one to get into this bucket and address the issue. Because it's always, people always want to talk about like the one in a million situation. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I mean, like, yeah, but I get it. So that's, there's that there's one Work order that should be four months aged. One, there's like 870 here that you know should have been invoiced within five days. I went to a mine site in, in northern Quebec early, early in my career. And I, I before I went, there were the three mines, and I went to all of them. And before I went, obviously, I was looking after parts, and I had to check and make sure. I didn't want to get killed when I walked through the door. And I went into one guy, and he he uh, ordered two of everything. He needed one, he'd order two and return one. And I said, you're really hurting me. Why do you do that? And he said, well, you know, this one time I had this machine, this mine machine down, it was out of production. For... And I said, when did that happen? And he looked up into the ceiling and he said, I think that was 1953 or 4. And I'm in 1970. <laughs> give, me, give me a break, you know. And it, it's a I wish you did accents. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable circumstance. Parts, you know. I think you both know my rule: find every part every day and let the customers know that where it's from, and then they can make a decision. And Metz mentioned mentioned Amazon. I can't tell you how many dealers I've said, "Why don't you have a dealer Prime?" And you got if they're within fifty miles, it's fifty bucks a month. If they're a hundred miles, it's a hundred bucks a month, or some number. And we'll prepay freight. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> to to Alex's point, I'm going to lose a million eight on the freight. And to Met's point, I got to work with a precision to exact number. Holy macro, baby! Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's using the data, right? Yeah. So like yeah, you, you, right. you, we've been running, we've been shipping parts for 20 years, and we can't use the math to figure out what a what an average freight would be like. And we have digital tools for calculating it. And we still can't just like take the chance that we could be right or wrong by 50 cents. The other part of that is we've got a lot of young people to Alex's point, both of your points. We've got a lot of young people on staff that can do this and want to do this and wonder why the heck we don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Fred Smith, Federal Express. We're going to bring everything into Memphis before we ship it out to where it's going. What? You crazy? U.S. Postal Service, everybody's delivering on Sunday. Who for? Amazon. The Postal Service employees love it. (laughs) There's, There's so many things, and you guys are right out at the edge of it, which is wonderful. But speed it up. You need more. You know, we need to get more pronounced results. Maybe we need to have a, a, quote, symposium on digital dealerships virtually and invite five to ten presidents, CEOs, executive VPs, whatever, just to sit and talk. I think that would be good. I, I just I don't think you kind of mentioned this earlier. Uh, do execs look at websites? I can honestly say that I never did. I never looked at our website because I was embarrassed. <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know who to turn to, and it became. Uh, and I think a lot of people are in this boat where it's like, all right, here's the top ten issues that we're dealing with at our dealership. I understand that we're not uh, set up with a, a mobile-enabled site that's aesthetically appealing and it can drive business for us today, but. In priority, that's probably number 15. I got, I got 10 other things. We got to fix in service and this and this and this. And I think a lot of people are in the same, bo- uh, same boat. And, and you don't know 
you just because you're more familiar with the everyday operation of the business, you're not really that familiar with like technology. You don't know who to turn to. So you always kind of push it off to the side. And I think that's where like a symposium and also what you mentioned earlier, like AED and some of these organizations where they're trying to bring in uh, speakers and presenters that have uh, knowledge in these areas is a good thing, right? Because you're, you're presenting that, uh, those experts and authority for the dealers, but they got to be open to it. Yeah. It's funny. One of the, one of the guys that I've got a lot of time for is uh, Ed Wallace, who's written many books on relationship marketing. And when the, one of the last podcasts we did was he talked about the, the, the rectangular sales call because we're making the sales call online now on zoom. And right. each you are rectangle on the screen. I said, Ed, we gotta we gotta get past this stuff. Mm-hmm. Relationship marketing, what is that anymore? And Alex, you're breaking that down. The relationship marketing is, is a different world today. They look at night, they do their research when they're not working their machine, and it's particularly true with the compact equipment or light industrial, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Those guys, you know, I used to tease product support salesman, I said, the guy, the owner operator, the guy that there's three machines and down, you make the sale of the maintenance agreement to mama. <laughs> and the yeah. problem you have is mama not, might not want to see papa more. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's an acceptable reason not to get the business. But you know, that all teasing aside, we, we've got to adapt. And the employees can tell us what it is because they, they live in that world today. I, I find it actually amazing how silent uh, in like the work that I'm doing with all these dealers, how silent large groups inside the dealership are. And it's, it's mostly the people who make it happen. Um, and they, they simply accept what they're given. You know, they find workarounds to the shortcomings um, and they just kind of suck it up. And, but it, it's all there. I mean, my favorite question is always like, show me your spreadsheets. <laughs> and it's almost like an inappropriate question, but it's like, <laughs> you, you've been given all the tools your bosses think and they're doing a great job, but show me your spreadsheets. Oh, I got a spreadsheet where I keep this and I have to enter it all over here. And then I have to put in my spreadsheet because I don't trust the system. And then, you know, this is too slow. And so I do it over here first. And then I copy it over to the system because it's not very good at it. Or this comes in on paper or this guy emails me a spreadsheet for everything because it's better than the system. And it's like, and they just, you know, their goal is to get their work done. It's all workarounds. Yeah. And so they'll make their workarounds. I, I, I call it shadow IT. Um, but it's like, and it's all, it's all antiquated. Like as soon as that spreadsheet, you're done with it today, it's kind of over. <laughs> Maybe, but like, you know, that's the thing, like inventory spreadsheets, right? We used to get an inventory spreadsheet on Monday. Well, by Wednesday, how much of it has changed? You know, machines are out, machines are back, <laughs> machines are sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and like, there's this, there's a strange faith in them. You know, like I manually maintain this spreadsheet. Therefore, I believe it to be accurate. It's busy work. It is busy work. You know, one of the things that early on in in my career, I I did a lot of manual work. I take data reports and I would pair through the darn thing line by line by line, looking at it because nobody else did that. Mm -hmm. And it, it gave you amazing truths. And, and you had the facts. And like Reagan said, facts are stubborn. They don't change. And and I'd get into a discussion with the boss and they said, no, no, that's not true. And I said, well, here's, here's the facts. Hmm. Damn, I didn't know that. Well, you've got this report. It's been there since the beginning of time. Then big circle go out to the dealer business system people. I said, give me a report that shows how, how frequently that report is used within that dealership. Who uses it and how often do they use it? And nobody's got that report yet, but they all say, well, they don't use half of our system. I said, well, if that's the case, get a report to give it to the dealer and you're going to help the dealer. <laughs> it goes back to my reports. Are, reports are an antiquated way to do things. Reports come from, I believe, a time when like there was one computer. 
And it's like, and Ron ran it and, and they came to Ron and said, print out this report for me because I don't have access to the computer. Right, right. Like, <laughs> and, we, and we became so dependent on that one computer, you know what we did, right? Got two. We got two. <laughs> I'm not joking. I am absolutely not joking. I had two IBM machines that were down at the same time connected to a bank of eight disk drives, both of them, so that we knew. And, and in the dealership, out in the stores, if a, if a lady decided to have tea at two in the afternoon and plugged her kettle in onto the same outlet that the terminal was on, brought the computer down. I mean, we, we've come a long way, but we haven't. Alex Kersler is right when he says, all we've done is we've gone from paper to glass. Yeah, I, I mean, how many times still like a year ago where you were having an issue and you call IT and they're like, did you restart your computer? <laughs> did you, did, uh, you turn it off and turn it back on? <laughs> like, this is where we're at in 2021. <laughs> Well, if, if you could wave a wand, Alex, what would be one thing that you would ask the dealers to do next month that would start them down the path of a di digital dealership or using data better? Uh, this is going to be completely self-serving. <laughs> post, your, post your machines in a magazine. That's what I want them to do. No, I... I just, uh, I would encourage them to be more open, you know, in, in like looking at things internally, asking how can we do things better um, and, and being like, I think it's always a powerful thing as an executive to go be in front of customers. I, I've always, like, I think in your career too, you see there are a lot of people who really never are in front of a customer. And I think dealers have too many of those people who have a say in what the dealer does in certain areas. Like I wouldn't trust anybody who's never been in front of a customer because you can talk all the theory you want. Uh, it, you know, but the people in front of the customer are the ones who should be driving the change and the, the policy because that's real. Like I we used to have like, manufacturer reps, uh, you know, who would talk to us about pricing and what we had to achieve. And, and the second you put them in front of a customer, they're, the, they're giving away stuff faster than, <laughs> than we ever could. <laughs> right? you, know, and you, so, you, bring, you bring back the story of Lewis Gerstner, who came from Kinsey, McKinsey, when he went to IBM as the chairman. His first meeting with all of his direct reports, he's got about 20 guys in the room, maybe a couple of women. And he asked one by one who their top three customers were. And nobody was able to answer the question. Good. So before he got halfway through the room, he killed the meeting, said, go away. I want you to find the three and we're going to meet again. And I want you to give me those three names. And it was a couple, three days later, he reconvened. They all gave him his 30 names. He killed the meeting and he got on a plane and went to visit every single one of those guys. What do you want from us? What do you need from us? It's so basic. It is. We, we get caught in a circle of a web of some nature, you know, this is what we've always done. We got to do that because somebody's going to ask. Metz, what's, yeah. your, what's your one thing that you would trigger? When I trigger, I mean, I like to where you're on the report. I would just say, like, delete all your print all of your reports once, and and assume that it's the last time you ever get to do it, and then figure out what it is you wanted to learn from that report, and then have the computer do that work, so that you get what you need from it instead. Stop not printing out, not not running your reports. But I, actually, that's what I was thinking. But I was what I liked Alex's point there, which is like listen to your customer, what they want. Stop assuming that you think you know, you know, how the dealership should be structured or from the few people that you do get to talk to, but listen to what the, the customers are saying through their actions uh, or what they say to your face um, or what, and what you learn from people who are engaging with modern customers about what customers want. And, and, then, and, and don't just ask like your best customers. No, no. You know, like, because they're just 
everything's great or, or whatever. Like ask customers that you don't really get much business from, you know, or yeah. high potential ones. Like people that really have no bias or reason to be nice, you know, who can be offer more constructive feedback. Uh, yeah. too, I think that's also uh, one of the th- things that dealers fall into is like, all right, I'm going to go see such and such. Well, but all right, they always get priority on service. <laughs> they, you basically eat all freight on parts or whatever. Like they get the A plus experience from you. So what are they going to tell you? Right? Yeah. Like you gotta, you're gonna get the best answers. But that's not very good either. So you want the squeaking wheel. You want the people who get angry. They they have higher expectations. Things you're not able to do. It's it's the age old thing. You know, the the tough student in the class is the one I want. You know, I'll, I'll get you over. So I would have one thing, very simple thing. Every customer that they go visit, I'd like them to have the customer show them their website. And I bet you the customers can't find it. <laughs> I think that, you know, that's, I, I would think that that is such a simple window into the need of digitizing things. All right, I've got it for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> steal your basically what you said, because uh, it doesn't sound as self-serving. <laughs> so I'm gonna say, well, I'm gonna for, say that's for Mets, not for you. That's yeah. all right. Hey, I'm all for Mets killing it. Yeah. So here's so here's what I would ask a, a dealer executive, president, VP of sales, VP of service, all the executives. Go to the, your website as a fake company or whatever and fill out some of those forms that you have on your website. See if anyone ever calls you. Uh, call your branches. You know, if you don't even have a form, which is in a, in a ridiculous. Forms are ridiculous. We don't ever fill them out in anything. But fill it out if you have one. But if the, the website doesn't have a form, call the branches and see how many times you get passed around and see what kind of experience you get. I, that's what I would say. Check it out for yourself. You probably think, get sick. I think this has been great, guys, and uh, I want to keep doing this with you too. I I find this very stimulating, and I, I I think it's a lot of good content for people if they listen and hear what you're saying, and then act on it. You will will all be better off. So I'm going to say thank you now and wrap this up and thank our audience for participating and listening. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope we gave you a lot of different ideas. And I look forward to having you at the next Candid Conversation. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.